We'll turn to uh, uh, chapter 19 of the book of 1 Samuel as we continue in the life of David. And uh, we're in a a very uh, interesting spot here in David's life. And so I want to read to you some preliminary things that will set the stage for what we're about ready to study. Um, Saul has been rejected as king. Everybody remember this? And we said, if you want to know what it is to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, then the contrast is look at what Saul's like in opposition to that. Amen? And he's been rejected as king, and uh, David has been anointed amongst his family as king. It's one of three anointings that David will get. And uh, he was uh, a harper and uh, played the harp for his his boss here, Saul. And uh, you know this, he went out and uh, slayed Goliath or slew Goliath. And uh, he was the least thought of or the least to be picked and yet he was picked by God and you know when because we studied this last week as they were coming back from the battle Saul his jealousy hit the high mark and what took him to such crazy heights of jealousy is something really innocuous such as a song and the song was this sung sung by women as they came back from The battles, Saul has slain his thousands. That's the good part. Saul probably was like, yes, who's writing this? They're wonderful. But then it got to uh, line number two, and this sent Saul over the edge, and it said, David is ten thousands. And from that day forward, Saul had slipped into jealousy and anger and bitterness, and we said, because we read the, we, we talked about the scriptures, that we don't want any root of bitterness to take hold in any way in our lives. It's toxic. So toxic that in the Psalms, it says that jealousy and bitterness rot the bones. It just destroys us. Unforgiveness and bitterness and grudges and those sorts of things. And uh, uh, in the New Testament, we're directed uh, uh, in these ways on what to do and how to respond to people who have done things to us. And we need the Holy Spirit in those regards. Well, now we get to chapter 19. And um, I just want to remind us of a couple things so we have the overarching uh, idea of what's happening here. Two things are happening here in David's life. Everybody with me? The first thing that's happening here is that David is being, being prepared to be the king. It's going to be several years now, 20 some years or around there until David takes the kingdom or the kingship. Think about this. He's been promised to be the king. Saul is still on the throne and David has to put up with this guy who chases him around the wilderness and wants to murder him. A father-in-law, a boss, one that David, it says, loved, wants to kill him. And for 20 years or so, this goes on until he's anointed king. And so it brings me to two points that were the overarching points of this chapter. Number one is 
is that God is taking a man and preparing him for ministry, sort of like Moses when he took Moses out into the desert areas. And what is God's purpose when he takes a man or a woman and to prepare them for a ministry? He's getting them to die to themselves. And one of the things, let let me read you several verses real quickly. Luke 9, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. See, I don't know about you, but my whole life I was taught differently than this until I became a Christian. My whole life was, if any man wants to be great, make his kingdom great. And that was my whole goal in life. So these verses really hit me in the heart, probably hit you there. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Galatians 5, 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Mark eight thirty five. whoever shall save his life will lose it. So countercultural. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake shall save it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it bideth alone. But if it die, it bring forth much fruit. Matthew 10, 38, and he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort, if any fellowship of the Spirit, uh, if any mercies, Fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Listen to this one. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's incredible verse. And I could go on and on and on. I could take you all through the whole Old Test or New Testament, and we would see this, right? And so you're going to see now the Lord stripping away all the things that David depends on, like we all depend on, so he can get to the place where he only depends upon the Lord. That's one thing we see in this transitional period of David. Here's the second thing we see. I'll read it to you. All of you know this by heart. But you're going to see while God is moving David towards his ministry of being the king, as he strips away the self-life, watch, God also protects him. Listen, listen to what David wrote. I will lift up my eyes, well, they think probably, but whatever. Here's a psalm. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He won't allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Do you believe that? That the Lord is your keeper. That the Lord is your shade at your right hand. Protects you from the harmful sun. Keeps you cool. All those things. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Listen, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. When? From this time forth and forevermore. Now, do you believe that? Does David believe it? 
Are we willing to uh, cooperate with the Lord in the crucifying of the flesh as he prepares us for the ministry, whatever he's called us to do? And at the same time, do we see God's hand of protection and do we believe that? I mean, there's other things. He's our strong tower, our refuge, you know, and on and on we could go of the things that God uh, does and is called to uh, uh, describe how he protects, amen? Watch this. I want to show you some things. Through the scriptures, starting in verse 1, chapter 19. Now, Paul spoke to, or excuse me, Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Oh my, that they should kill David. I'm going to have the folks in the back cue up the quote I have from Arthur Pink. And I call your attention to the last verse of chapter 18. David's enemy, or excuse me, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul. So listen, Saul's name, or excuse me, David's name became highly Esteem. Look what A.W. Pink wrote about this. How vivid and solemn is the contrast presented between the last sentence of the preceding chapter and the opening one of this. And yet perhaps the spiritually minded would hardly expect anything else when the name of the beloved, David, is much set by, we are prepared to see the immediate raging of the enemy personified here by Saul. Yes, the picture here presented to our view is true to life. Nothing is more calculated to call into action the enmity of the serpent against the woman's seed. Genesis, early part of Genesis. And that's what we're seeing here against the woman's seed than the extolling of his name with all that scripturally includes. It was thus in the days of the apostles when they announced that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, the Jewish leaders commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And because they heeded not, the apostles were beaten and again commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. So what I want you to see first of all is we're uh, uh, recounting here and reading about real history. It's Saul getting angry, and we're seeing now Saul decreasing and David increasing. There will come a day when David sort of falls off his pedestal, but for now, that's what's happening. And when it says that his name became highly esteemed, you can bet that the enemy is going to get mad. And the enemy, unfortunately, is Saul here. Saul, the one he loves, David loves the one he works for, the one he plays for, the one he cares for, the one he battles for. He's upset and angry. Now, I hardly have to tell you here, we could look at this chapter on so many levels. We're going to look at it first on the history. But second of all, these are all types and shadows of New Testament principles. And the first uh, type and shadow is that there is great And intense, couldn't think of the word, intense war that happens 
when you begin to say that it's the name of the Lord and it's the only name by which you can be saved. Amen? I mean, it's cool if you go out into the culture and you speak spiritually, kindly, faith, you know, faith and love and hope, which we all believe in. But once you say the name of the Lord is how you must be saved, the enemy gets ultra angry because he wants to drag as many souls as he can into hell. And if you're all saved and going to heaven, he wants to ruin your testimony. And so you see right here, Saul spoke to Jonathan's son, and he doesn't hide it. There's no hiding it anymore. That they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning, and stay in a secret place and hide. And I'll go out, and I'll stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak with my father about you. Uh, then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him. Now, Jonathan has a lot of courage here. Amen? I mean, Saul is enraged here. And Saul has uh, made overtures that he would even not spare Jonathan's life. But now Jonathan speaks well of David to Saul, his father. Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hasn't sinned against you. And because his works have been very good toward you, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverer, uh, deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? Now, of course, right? According to the law. You couldn't commit murder in this way. And Saul now, through bitterness and anger, it just hasn't, it just hasn't stayed as bitterness and anger. And it, we've all felt that, haven't we? That we've let a little root of bitterness get in somewhere. We've all probably had that. And that sort of has rubbed us the wrong way over a long period of time until it manifests itself in something that comes from the inside to the outside, maybe an anger uh, thing or maybe a, an argument with somebody or maybe, uh, you know, grudges or saying something you didn't mean and not wanting to say you're sorry and maybe even more. I don't know that anybody's in here a murderer, but look, what happens is this could lead to murder, of course, and it does here. Jesus addressed this and said, if you uh, have hate in your heart, you've murdered people. So this is a very serious thing. And you see Jonathan here who uh, comes and talks to his dad. Very courageous thing to do. So Saul, in verse 6, heeded the voice of Jonathan and swore. Saul swore. Here comes the big lie. The enemy always lies. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Now, I guess he didn't lie and he didn't get killed by him, but he was going to try, right? 
Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Now, the first thing I want us to see is that uh, God here is taking and teaching David how to live in conflict with other people as a godly person. Conflict with people who are supposedly in his family. Conflict with people who are supposedly ones who love him. Conflict with people that sit across from him at dinner and all those sorts of things. And God is teaching and uh, uh, growing David in that area so that he'll be a person, as Gene Edwards says in his book, The uh, Tale of Three Kings, so he'll be a person who can live to learn, or, or excuse me, learn to live in pain. And that's what it takes sometimes as a leader, as a person who's doing ministry, uh, uh, as uh, the enemy rages against the things that you are doing or uh, and, and the Lord is doing in and through you because he's trying to keep you uh, from uh, the fruit of saved souls or mature souls or discipled souls, etc. And so that uh, certainly speaks to us. But, you know, there's a, another thing here that is uh, very interesting. And that's this. Notice this, that the, the son speaks to the father about David and pleads his case. You know what I'm saying? Here he comes and he says, listen, here's, here's the reason you shouldn't harm David. Here's the reason you ha- shouldn't har- harm David because he has not sinned against you in any way. And because his works have been very good toward you, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought you about a great deliverance. In other words, this son, watch this now, is pleading to the father the good works of David so that David will be accepted and live. Amen? And It's sort of a picture here, or is a picture here, of one of the ministries of Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus' case is much stronger, of course, but it foreshadows this pleading that we have an advocate with the Father. And you know this, right? That the word there, advocate, is the strong word in the Hebrew, or excuse me, in the Greek, for lawyer, an advocate, one who stands up on the behalf, on behalf of somebody else. And we have Jesus, and this is why it's so magnificent. You know what Jesus pleads on our behalf before the Father? Not our good works. He pleads his own works and what he's done and what he's accomplished and what, and where you're found positionally in Christ. He doesn't stand up there and say, well, you know, uh, uh, this guy went on a missions trip and gave $10,000 to the church and, you know, he, he started a homeless ministry and that, that's not the advocacy here. The advocacy here that the Lord is pleading on our behalf as he tucks us behind himself He's pleading, Father, it's because of my blood that you can accept this one or that one. 
It's amazing what God does here to protect us and has done here to protect David as he continues to move him through the stripping of the self-life and the dependence upon him by the Spirit. You get it? He's saying, wow, I'm the prince, Jonathan says, who pleads your case. And I'm going to plead your case based on your good works. Jesus, on our behalf, pleads his good works. Unbelievable. It's amazing. How do we, how are we protected now in the ministry as God moves forward? Well, here's what we do. We remember that we have an advocate. When the, when the enemy of our souls comes to us and said, you're so ineffective. I heard somebody this week say, I've only led three people to Christ. I said, oh, praise the Lord. You've led three people to Christ. And that's what the Lord says, man. He did it in your life. He did it in your life. That's so incredible that the Lord would do that. As he's preparing you for ministry, look at this. He's he's pleading on your behalf, the advocate, Jesus Christ, so that you can feel accepted. It's not based on your works. It's based on what he did. Now you have the privilege of ministering for him and sharing the gospel and discipling others. Whoa! What an incredible thing. What a privilege. Well, that's the first thing. As we study how... God is stripping away the self-life and how God protects him. Well, in this story, the first way in which God protects uh, David is through a friend named Jonathan, who was his advocate. Our protection comes from the Lord himself, who pleads on our behalf. Unbelievable. Well, uh, you go on here and uh, you look in verse 8 and it says this, and there was a war again. There was a war again. When you read that, listen, when you read that, especially in this transitional area, you're thinking to yourself, oh no, here it comes. David's going to do great and Saul's going to be really angry. (laughs) And sort of look what happens here. There was war again and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Now remember, if you want to know what the distressing spirit is from the Lord, we talked about that last week. God wasn't forcing him to have a distressing spirit. Saul was going down the road of rejecting God and thumbing his nose at God and being upset with God and not being uh, content with what God had for him. And God was confirming what was already in Saul's heart. But nevertheless, there's this distressing spirit from the Lord that comes upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. I think we need to do jumping jacks. You guys look tired. Maybe it was the good food. But this is so important, man, in the Christian life. Do you have a spear in your hand or you're playing the harp? The spear, just that, that's the Christian that's just always walking around. What are you doing? I can't believe you went to that place or listened to that music or this or that. And you just try to pin people to the wall. And it's always like your mission. 
to tell people how wrong they are about way, the way they're walking and the things that are going on in their life. And it's just boom, boom, boom. Or is it this, that you're playing the harp, you're encouraging people, you're building people up, you're a soothing to people. Now, no one's saying here you don't speak truth, but the Bible calls you and I to speak truth in love. And here's the thing about Christians, many of them, especially if you're on social media, you like to speak truth in brutal ways, without the love. And that is brutal. But see, you could go to the other side and you could just speak lovey-dovey all the time and never truth and no one hears the word of God. And so there has to be this balance of love and truth. And yet, folks, I just want to remind you that it's not your job to convict people. It's not my job to convict people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job and your job is to love people. And loving is telling truth, no doubt. But it's our job to love people, not to convict them. That's the Holy Spirit. He does that. Amen? Well, here, there's a harp and a spear. And I'm saying to myself, I don't. I want to get the spear out of my hand more and more and play the harp as a Christian, as a pastor, as a person who is a follower of Christ. And David was playing music with his hand, and then Saul sought to pin David to the wall. Third time, folks. Third time. First time, I would have quit. There would have been no second time. I'd have been mad, I'd have been angry, I'd have been relieved. David went back a second time, and now here he comes for a third time. And I want you to see how much David loves Saul. He hung right in there. And God protects him, yes. But he uses things and people to protect him. Watch this. And he drove the spear into the wall, so David fled and escaped that night. And that's the last time David will be in the kingly palace for 20 years. From that point forward, he'll be on the run until he becomes the king. You get that? 20 years knowing that God has promised something to you. And you want it to come now so that you'll be comfortable and fine and in the palace and wealthy and have enough food and place to lay your head and all those sort of things. And one of the things that you could do is you could presume upon God. God, come on now. You told me. Why in the world are you going to put me through all of this stuff where I have to run and be anxious and be on the run and not have a place to write. How would you feel? How would I feel? But for 20 years now, he's not going to have a place to lay his head, really. And what is God doing? He's taking away the self-life. He's preparing him for a life lived in suffering. He's life lived in pain. Life lived uh, 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 in total reliance upon him. You see that? And here it comes. So Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. Do you understand what we just read, folks? I wonder if we you understand what we just read. Saul just put a hit squad out on David. He's going to kill him with these men. They went to his house to kill him. So Saul sends messengers to the house to watch and to kill him, and Michael, David's wife... 
Now, Michael is who? She's the daughter of Saul and the sister of Jonathan. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you don't save your wife or life tonight, tomorrow you're going to be killed. So Michael let da- lets David down through a window. And he went and fled and escaped. Now, just from the human point of view here, here's a husband and a wife who have left their parents and cleaved. And you know, you're going to be upset here with Michael a little bit. And so am I. And you're going to say, well, she doesn't seem as spiritual all the time as maybe David is. And maybe I would agree. But one thing that's happened here is Michael has clearly left the parent-child relationship and cleaved to her husband. And her first... And his first and her first duty and obligation and covenant and uh, uh, was to his wife or to her, uh, or the spouse, to the spouses here. You get that? Not to the dad. And that's important in, in anybody's marriage. And she looks out for him. Do you see that? And she lets him down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. Now, when I'm done with this point, you tell me to go to Psalm 59. Because I'll forget. But let me go on with this point. And Michael took an image. Folks, the word there for image is she took an idol. The word there that's used for the idol is vanishing, which is what an idol is. It's a nothing. But she took an idol, which leads some people to believe she was a little less spiritual than David. You get it? Why would she have an idol laying around the house? And oh, by the way, it wasn't some little idol, because look what she did with it. Here, here's what she did with it. She took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, well, he's sick. The hit squad came. The hit squad came that was going to kill him. And she says he's sick. Now, I kind of laugh about this, because what kind of hit squad was this? That went away just because he was sick, but oh well, I'm not the writer of the gospel. Or not the gospel, but the, the, the Bible here. But then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying this. Listen to how sick jealousy and envy can become. Well, listen, bring him up to me in the bed. Just pick up the bed. I don't care if he's sick or not. Just pick up the the kid, the guy in the bed, and you bring him to me, and here's why. And he makes no bones about it that I could kill him or would kill him. And when the messenger didn't come, there was this image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. And then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? Now, remember now, this is dad to daughter. And And Michael answered Saul and said to me, or he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? She lies. It didn't happen. But look at the next line. So David fled and escaped and then went to Samuel. Now, here's what I want to say. We're we're looking at the self-life. What's really a sad thing here is after this, David and Michael's uh, uh, um, 
relationship sort of deteriorates. And so in one way, you could say that the self-life, he first uh, was learning that the comforts of life and being in one place or being in the palace was going to be stripped from him. And he wasn't going to get the uh, 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 anointing that he thought he was going to get now. It was going to be at a longer time. That's the first thing you could say. The second thing you could say is, uh, uh, in terms of uh, being stripped of the self-life, is his relationship with his wife here was going to be strained. And he couldn't use the marriage relationship as a an idol, something to lean on. Everything was being stripped from him. But on the flip side of that, as we look at the... Stick with me. I'm afraid I'm going to lose you, and I have lost some of you. But if you catch this, you're going to be blessed. I'm so blessed by this because, listen, there's a part of me that, and, and it's a part of all Christians, that measures somebody by how well they're doing. Oh, you've been to four Bible studies. Wonderful, you know. You've, you've been giving. Oh, oh, that's just fantastic. Oh, you're serving. And then... When people screw up or have a, a misstep with the Lord, you know, there's a tendency in the Christian world to sort of go, oh, what's wrong with Tim? And I want you to see something here. The Bible tells us that we are the bride of Christ. Amen? We're the bride of Christ. And that Jesus is going to what? Do what? He's going to present us faultless before the throne. Amen? And I want you to then raise your hand if you're faultless, practically. Oh, nobody raised their hand. That's strange. Why? Because practically, while we individually are seen as perfectly righteous because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, positionally, that's what we are, practically, we still sin, right? If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just... We forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to see something here that helps protect me and you that protected David. The church, the bride, she protects. Why do you think the Bible says don't forsake assembling together? It says that so that you and I will come in here. And here's our tendency. Well, who are you to tell me? I remember, you know, three months ago, you did blah, 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 blah. And I look back and I think of this story. This idol holding, lying lady saved the life of David. You see that? And so on one hand... He, we're going to be present now. Now I'm flipping. Look, the bride helps to protect people. God uses the bride, the church. He brings you in here when you're feeling like you're in the dust. And the Bible tells us we're to encourage one another. But the mistake that we can often make is how could you encourage me? You've been a blank. You said this yesterday when in reality, when in reality, look at this. It's the beautiful, flawed bride that builds people up, that God uses to build people up. We're flawed in here in that we're sinners saved by grace. And yet, if we have that terrible, self-righteous attitude, how can we learn and grow? God here used a idol-worshiping, 
or at least idle holding on to, lying lady to save her husband. Which says to me, I got to be really careful about who I'm judging and why I'm judging them. Because you know what? Their struggle might be this thing. My struggle might be another thing. And to discount them totally because they're coming to me, well, you know what? Maybe I need to check my pride and say, wow, look what the Lord has for me as this one comes to encourage or maybe tell me the truth about something or maybe say something to me that might sting a little bit, truth, and yet be a loving thing to say. You get what I'm saying? I hope so. I hope we get this, that God uses his son to plead our case based on his son's merits. Oh, protection. Number two, that God uses the church, the bride, even though some of us, all of us, still have issues to sharpen one another and encourage one another and build one another up as long as we'll receive it and run for safety. What what a beautiful picture here in chapter 19. Well, you keep going on, and here's the fourth place that David, or fourth person that David encounters. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. David's no dummy. Remember, it was said of Samuel that none of his words fell to the floor. That's earlier in the book. In other words, Samuel was the wise man of God, the godly wise man of Israel. And when uh, David needed help and protection, look at this, he runs to Samuel. What a great thing. And I think this speaks a lot of ways to us, but one way it speaks to, to us is that we are to go to godly good counsel. Now, here's what I would say. The greatest godly good counsel that you could ever go to is Jesus himself. You know, it's not the wonderful counselor. You get that, right? It's the wonderful, comma, counselor. He's wonderful just all by himself and everything he does. And then it says he wants to be your counselor. So he's the greatest counselor you could ever go to. But the Bible does say there's wisdom in counsel. Amen? And so here's what you do. I mean, pray for people who disciple you. And pray for people who you disciple. And so you go here and you go, wow, okay, so... David fled and escaped and went to uh, Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, take note, David is at Naoth. That's funny. They thought they were being secretive. They thought they could get away. By the way, they did an archaeological dig in this place called Naoth. They found these complex structures that were sort of like our equivalent, they aren't high-rises, so don't think that, but our equivalent of like a high-rise um, uh, 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 apartment place that w- once you got into them, you could get lost real easy. 
And they found them underground. They did a dig. And so Naoth was the perfect place for Samuel to take David, but it didn't take Saul anything. He had spies everywhere. You see that? And that's what the enemy does. He continues to pursue the godly. And he pursues and he sends uh, messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesy and Samuel standing as a leader over them, look at this. I, I'm telling you, if you don't get a chuckle out of the end of this chapter, maybe you don't get what's going on here. So we go here and uh, Saul sent messengers. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader, here you go. You got Samuel here leading a group of school of prophets and they're prophesying. Whether you believe that is the foretelling prophecy, excuse me, the foretelling prophecy, uh, you know, like a gift of uh, knowing the future, or do you, or I wonder if it's the foretelling of the word of God, whatever it is, they're prophesying under the spirit of God. You see that? And so uh, the messengers come there. And when Saul was told, uh, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Now catch what's happening. The enemy, I'll make it real easy for you. The enemies of David, the guys who are the hit squad, the people who have the silencer on their guns that are coming to take David out. They get there and they get in the presence of Samuel and the prophets and they're so caught up in the worship and the spirit of God overcomes them that the hitmen prophesy too. That's what this says. So it doesn't stop there. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku, and he asked and said, well, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they're at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah. Then the spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he, the one who's casting spears, the one who killed, wants to kill him. The one who's seething with anger and jealousy and bitterness and murder, he gets there and he strips off his clothes, whether that means naked or, you know, just his undergarments or whatever, sort of strange, and prophesied before Samuel in like manner. I mean, come on, people. What's this saying? You know, the threefold witness here. It's saying that you can't take out David. So you know that you've been rejected as king and you keep resisting and you keep resisting and you keep resisting. But when it comes to my promises, God saying my promises are sure. And I'm going to get him through this. And so I want you to see something here. The fourth protector. The fourth protector. The Spirit of God. God's using all these different people, the fourth being the person of the Spirit of God, to protect him as he moves in and through life 
and is being stripped of the self-life. Can you imagine the faith and the trust that David must have had as he watched the hitmen coming with the trench coat and the pulling out of the sawed-off shotguns or the machine guns or the machetes or whatever they were, and he sees the Word of God being taught and preached and people worshiping and the Spirit of God overcoming the hitmen, including the ringleader, Saul himself. Can you imagine the trust? Well, look, as you finish off here, he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner Saul did, and he laid down naked all that day and all that night. And therefore they say, look, watch this, is Saul also among the prophets? Now you probably forget this, maybe you don't. When he became confirmed as king, they used this phrase because he would seem to be and was acting very spiritual and was prophesying at the time. But this phrase now isn't confirmation of Saul being king. It's being used as conviction that his life has gotten so far out of control that it would be a surprise that he would do anything spiritual like that. Did you catch that? And what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict people? How he does it is his business. And so as we close up here, look at this. Wow, what a lesson for us. We see here that the friend of God, by the way, Jesus called his disciples no longer servants. He called them friends. But we here see that the friend of God pleaded for safety with the Father based on David's own merits. Our the Son of God, he pleads on our behalf as our great advocate, us being accepted before God. And we, when we know that and respond in that, life becomes less fearful. And we're protected in that sense. And the second picture uh, we see here is a picture of a wife. And she protected him, of course. But look, God puts us in a family, the bride of Christ. And sometimes... We're a little blemished. God uses us to encourage and to sharpen one another, or when we're in the dust, to be encouraged or be sharpened. Yes, people tell us the truth, and the truth comes out, but there's love in it. We gently restore people. We don't, after circumspectly looking in our hearts, we gently restore people. We don't bash and crush people. And so God uses that to protect us. And then he says to be a discipler of people, to go and find spiritual counselors. Of course, Jesus, the counselor. And then surround ourselves with people who are mature and get their input as well, and then input into others as you disciple them. And that protects us. Why? Because it keeps us on mission, like it kept David on mission to be the king. 
And finally, the greatest thing, right, or one of the greatest thing, is not to operate according to our flesh, but operate according to the Spirit. That we're to walk in the Spirit so that we could defeat the lusts of the flesh. Wow, what a picture. And so as we move out tonight, let's pray together that the Lord would knit these things to our hearts and help us walk these out. As God is preparing, I'm convinced, each one of us for some sort of ministry. I'm convinced that you're to be doing something in the body of Christ, and I'm to be doing something in the body of Christ. And he takes us through these periods of stripping of self and teaching us how to uh, be protected and how how people or how he set up uh, uh, institutions and things like the church to help protect us most of all the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this, and we thank you for this great chapter. What a chapter, Lord. Lord, help us to be Davids. Help us by your Spirit to be able to live uncomfortably, but comfortably. Help us to be peaceful in the times when it's not comfortable. And help us to love others who need loving, here in the church, and help us to let our guard down so that we could let others love on us here in the church. Let us put our pride down, Lord, so that people can speak into our lives appropriately. Lord, help us to have mentors and be mentors, all the while relying upon the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.